up to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 14, and while you're opening, I'm going to blow out these candles. This morning we're looking at the angel's song as part of our Carols of Christmas sermon series. And the theme of the message today is joy and peace. This is the theme and the message that the angels bring to the shepherds while they're in the field. And this is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us peace. Peace with God ultimately. And so this is the theme of the the text this morning. We've been looking at the carols of Christmas as we draw nearer and nearer to Christmas morning. We've heard of Mary's Magnificat and we've listened to Zachariah's Benedictus. This morning, we hear the angelic choir's joyful song, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. That's Latin for glory to God in the highest. And so if you found your place in Luke chapter 2, verse... Nine, say amen. All right, and follow along as I read, beginning in verse 9. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you pray with me? Father, as we open your word, it is our prayer that you would speak to us and teach us. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips to speak boldly and truthfully. I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear accurately and faithfully. And Lord, I pray that you would transform our lives as we sit under your word, that you would cause our lives to reflect the theme and the direction of this text this morning. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever waited on something? You ever waited on something with just great, joyful excitement, with anticipation? I remember a few occasions as a child being so excited about about an upcoming event or, or thing that, that we were going to. I remember being, in fact, so excited that I couldn't even sleep at night. Maybe you remember those types of, of evenings and exciting events that were coming up. Well, among the top three would rank Christmas as, as number one. Christmas morning was one of those most exciting mornings where we even referenced earlier as Miller's Red, right? Where as a child you get up and you run into the living room to see what's around the Christmas tree. It was an exciting time. 
But among those top three, a second would be our uh, probably the family trip that we took to Disney World. I was so excited when we were getting ready to go to Disney World that probably for three or four nights before we went, I had trouble falling asleep. And as a child, you probably remember that if you ever went to Disney World. But the top three, the third one would probably be uh, when we went to uh, every summer, we would go on summer vacation and we would go uh, camping and we would go up to the lakes of Arkansas and Missouri and we'd spend two weeks camping out uh, at, at the state campgrounds and we would go and fish and do all these fun outdoor activities. These were things that really ranked among the top uh, excitement, exciting things that kind of drew my attention as a kid. I look forward to these events for various reasons, but probably mostly, hold on, what are we looking at? I keep seeing everybody's eyes going up here. Huh. Well, it's windy. It's windy outside. This is the temporary building that we worship in. It's the screens. It's the projectors. It's the screens. How many say it's the screens? How many say it's the projectors? All right. It's okay. It's both, probably. But it's all right. I, I'm okay with it if you're okay with it. it. It'll be fine. We can leave it on. You know, I look forward to all of these events specifically because it, it promised something better than what I was accustomed to in my normal childhood experience. They held out before me the hope of something new, something better. And as we approach Christmas morning, my hope is that through this Carols of Christmas sermon series that we'll be filled with the joyful anticipation, in fact, the same joyful anticipation that accompanied Christ's incarnation almost 2,000 years ago. When God the Son became man, there was an incomprehensible mystery that became a reality. You see, the church's mission is to glorify God. And as the church, we need to be gripped by this great mystery that is Christ's incarnation. And I want us to see this morning that the church's mission is to glorify God before the world by announcing the angel's message and singing the angel's song of Christ's incarnation. So as we approach Christmas morning, I hope that this joyful anticipation that we see in the text is also the joyful anticipation that you and I have as we approach Christmas morning. Well, first this morning, I want us to see that the angel's announcement to the shepherds should be the church's announcement to the world. The context of the text this morning is on the night that Jesus was born, the shepherds are out of the field watching the flocks. They're in a nearby field, a field in the same region. And in verse 9, the shepherds encounter the angel. And I want you to notice their response in verse 9. As the angel appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with what? Fear. In fact, the text says that they were filled with, filled with great fear. 
terror. And I want you to see this morning that the reality of God's glorious and holy presence should strike fear in the hearts of sinful man. When the angel of the Lord appeared and God's glory shone around them, they feared with such great terror. We see that in the text. The question that I had as I approached it was why? Why were they filled with such terror? Well, I think they were filled with such terror because they sensed their unworthiness to be in God's glorious presence. The glorious presence of God was overwhelming in that moment. And I think the reality that we can kind of take away from this, and even as we look throughout the pages of Scripture, is that when man encounters God's holy presence, there is an uncontrollable reaction that involves fear and trembling. And I want you to know that. When we encounter God's holy presence, there is an uncontrollable reaction. And that uncontrollable reaction is fear and trembling. This is seen all over Scripture. From Old Testament theophanies where God appears to the New Testament encounters of God's presence and power. Just quickly, on on the boat with the disciples, Jesus is there, the storm arises, and he stands and he calms the storm. And then I want you to listen to what Mark's gospel says in Mark chapter 4, verse 41. Speaking of the disciples, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Here is the power of God at work through Jesus on the, in the midst of the sea with gale force winds and waves that are huge, that he would stand up and he would calm the storm. They encountered God's power, and you know what they did? They feared so much that Jesus had to comfort their fear. Matthew chapter 17 at the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain with Jesus, and Peter's speaking, and in the midst of Peter's speaking, while he was still speaking, in fact, verse 5 says, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Right, This is God's voice speaking and testifying on behalf of Jesus, God's son. And he's telling the disciples, Jesus' closest friends, here's what I'm saying. This is my son. Listen to him. And it says when the disciples heard this, they what? They fell on their faces in fear and were terrified. After Christ's ascension, the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24, verse 5. Two men stood beside the disciples as they're looking into heaven. And these two men, it says, were in dazzling clothing. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? As they encounter God's glorious and holy presence, they are fearful. Isaiah's response to God's vision to him in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6 God's glory, the train of his robe, fills the temple. And all Isaiah can say is, Woe is me. For I am lost or I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here was Isaiah's response to God's presence when he encounters God's presence. He says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man. He's aware of his unclean lips. And I think this resonates with believers. 
Because it offers commentary of our awareness of our own sin when we ourselves encounter God. Church, we must realize that our sin before a holy God is a rancid stench that evokes His just wrath and brings about our condemnation. And we must not shy away from proclaiming God's glory and His holiness. Because here's the reality. We can't receive God's salvation if we're never made aware of our utter sinfulness and our utter unworthiness to enter into His presence. Because only when we feel the dread of our sinfulness in His holy presence will we then cast ourselves upon Christ and trust in Him for salvation. And this is exactly the point of verse 10. We see God's mercy toward us replaces our fear with joy. You know, Hebrews 10.31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. In verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Immediately, the angel calms their fear with his announcement. Literally, this phrase is read, I evangelize you with great joy. Here's the angel coming to evangelize the shepherds in the midst of the field with great joy. Verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This word, Savior, is a word that the people under Roman rule came to call the Emperor of Rome, the Savior. But it's a word that the early church, the believers, attributed to Jesus. They attributed this title to Jesus. And the next phrase that comes is this phrase, Christos Kyrios, which means Christ the Lord. And this title, together, it's only designated by Luke in the New Testament. But it speaks of his office as Savior. Jesus is the promised Messiah who fulfills all the promises of Israel's, or rather God's covenant with Israel. Jesus will save his people from their enemies, but not as many would expect. Jesus does something much greater than saving us from our earthly enemies. He redeems us. He removes our fear before God. He restores the broken relationship between man and God that sin has caused. That means my sin, your sin, that has caused us to be removed from God's presence and unable to enter into His presence. What Jesus does is He restores that broken relationship. And he restores it by saving his people and dying in their place. You see, by dying on the cross, Jesus purchased our salvation from God's wrath because of our sin. And this is what redemption means. The mission of Christ the Lord as Savior. And this is the message, the announcement of the church to the world. This is what we, church, are to proclaim to the world. It's a message that we're to proclaim for all people. That Jesus, by dying on the cross, has purchased our salvation from God's wrath because of sin. This is redemption. And that Jesus came into the world. God the Son stepped into the world to redeem man from sin. 
I remember seeing a church marquee with the phrase, it's Christmas with a capital C. Their argument was that the church must keep Christ in Christmas. You've probably seen that same sign on a church marquee somewhere. But I want you to know the church doesn't keep Christ in Christmas by barking slogans at people who are passing by reading the church signs. In fact, in fact, that slogan, it's intended as an indictment for anyone who places an X before the suffix in the word Christmas, mas. So they put this X before mas. But in fact, really, the, the, the letter X is the Greek letter, key, and it's the very sign for Christ. And so it's really not taking Christ out of Christmas, but that's, that's a side point. The point is, the way that we as a church, keep Christ in Christmas is by evangelizing those who are without Christ. It's by telling the story of Christ's incarnation. And it's by telling why this is actually a gracious and merciful act of God because outside of Christ, we do have reason to fear. But those who are in Christ know joy eternal. And we anxiously await Christ's second coming. For in his second coming, he's going to make all things new. You see, the greater hope of Christmas is not only did Christ come, but listen, Christ is coming again. He is returning, and God is worthy. He is worthy of fear. But there's good news for all who place their faith and trust in Christ, and that is this. Christ makes us right with God and gives us eternal joy. You see, the angel's announcement to the shepherds should be the church's announcement to the world. And that announcement should be, I evangelize you with great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. Christ, the Lord, was born. And listen, this is the bridge to sharing the gospel this Christmas season. Write it down. Use that bridge to share the gospel. Let me ask you, church, when was the last time, believer, when was the last time that you shared the gospel with someone? This isn't a question intended to indict. This is a question intended to provoke us, to speak of the joy that Christ has given us. Are you sharing the gospel with your children, parents? Are you teaching them about the sacrifice that Christ has made and and why it's so significant that Christ came into the world, God the Son stepped down and became man? Are we sharing with our co-workers? Are Are we telling others about this good news that the angels announced to the shepherds? Secondly, this morning, I want us to see the angels' song before the shepherds should be the church's song before the world. So the angel's angel's announcement should be the church's announcement. The angel's song should be uh, the, the church's song before the world. Their praise was rightly directed toward God. Church, this is a great model of what our our response to Jesus' birth should be. Christ's birth calls forth cosmic praise. We see this in verse, in verse 13 where there was one angel and suddenly a multitude of heavenly hosts showed up praising God. They joined the angel in singing praise to God. And listen, it was, it was the most beautiful 
song that our ears could ever hear. It would have been like, a, I'm convinced, it would have been like a concert of, of a thousand Andre Bucellis and a thousand Celine Dion singing in unison at the same time. It would have been a beautiful sound. They were singing glory to God in the highest. Their praise was praise of the, the highest and the greatest magnitude. Because God's plan of redemption is designed to express his glory in a way that no other earthly event can. So when Christ became man, this was the glory of God on display, stepping down into humanity to redeem, to ransom his people. In the birth of Christ, heaven touches earth, and the angelic host of God's abode show up in the dark of night. And in the midst of all this, God's glorious presence lit up the sky. And the praise of his, of his angelic choir filled the lull of the quiet night. And through all of this, the shepherds were there experiencing the praise of the, choirs of the, angel, of the choir of the angels. And they were caught up, I think, in heavenly praise. I can't help but wonder, as the shepherds left that scene and journeyed, to see the baby in the manger, Jesus, that I can't help but wonder if they kept playing that song, that refrain, glory to God in the highest, over and over in their head. You know how it is when you hear that wonderful song and it keeps playing over and over in your mind and you hear all the tune, all the sound perfectly as if it was delivered perfectly, but then when you open your mouth and you try to sing along, it just doesn't come out right, you know? It just messes it up. And so here we have the angels singing, glory to God in the highest, and the shepherds traveling to go and to see this baby. Their praise, their praise, the angels' praise was rightly directed toward God. And I want you to hear this, church. Our praise should also be directed toward God. Because the reality that God the Son became man is the activity of his love and mercy toward mankind. And it's the summation of Christ's humanity. Christ's humanity demonstrates God's love for us as no other life can. So church, we as God's people, we are to join in the cosmic chorus of praise and give all glory to God. We're to do this through the transformed lives that God is working in us by continually setting our minds upon the things above, right? Colossians chapter 3 or Romans chapter 2, not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds. We're continually setting our minds upon God and turning our hearts toward God. So we, we sing this song with transformed lives. But I think we can also sing this song very practically, right? We sing about it in worship on Sunday mornings. Maybe as we walk through the office or walk through the classroom, we have this song that we're singing under our breath. Why? Because it brings joy. It floods our hearts with joy. And this is the Christian response to Christ's incarnation. Joy eternal life, eternal hope. One practical way that we're going to take 
songs and go and sing and sing God's praise before people. Our, our home group is going to go out and we're going to sing in our community. Go around and, and Christmas carol. Uh, this is going to happen this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, and so I'm giving a shameless plug here. If you want to come and be part of that, you're welcome to come. Let me know because we're going to order pizza ahead of time. But come and come and worship with us. as we, We're going to go around the neighborhood, and we're going to sing Christmas carols, knock on people's door, just like, like we used to do of old. This has become a tradition for our home group. And so come and join us if you like. We're going uh, to spread the gospel of Christ through singing Christmas carols about Christ's birth. You see, church, we as God's people must join in the cosmic chorus of praise and give, give all the glory to God. The church's praise, I want you to see that not only is our praise directed toward God as God's people, just as the angel's praise was directed toward God before the shepherds, our praise is directed toward God before the world, right? I want you to see finally that the church's praise is beneficial for all people. It's beneficial for all people. Here's why. God's salvation rests upon the church, upon his people. We're his covenant people. And his salvation of us, as I said a moment ago, brings about transformation in our lives. He includes us in Christ's mission of bringing the message of salvation to the world. This is part of the mission of the church. And the reason the church's praise is beneficial for all people is because when the church is gripped by this understanding of God's mercy toward us, then we'll forsake the foolish idols of this world that steal our praise from the most glorious one who desires our praise. And when that happens, revival will break out in the church. And the angel's song before the shepherds that night, it demonstrated for the church what ought to be the church's song before the world. Glory to God in the highest. All the hosts of heaven came down, penetrated the atmosphere, and lit up the sky and sang of this king, Christ the babe who showed up in a manger. Our praise should be directed completely toward God. And their second refrain tells us why. Their second refrain was, And on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings peace on earth. It's not a stretch to say that the world is at war with God. Psalm 2, 1 through 3 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords From us. Scripture tells us that man is hostile toward God. Not only is man hostile toward God, man's even at war with one another. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 read What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. 
you do not have because you do not ask. You see, this is because mankind has rejected God in pursuit of our own way. We're selfish creatures to the core. We seek our own ways, and Scripture identifies this as as sin. Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then hear, hear those familiar words. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, this is the problem that man has when we encounter God's holy presence, isn't it? Sin, sin that bars us from God, sin that causes God's wrath to be poured out upon us, that we would experience his just condemnation because of our sin. But there's good news. The good news is we don't have to fear. The good news is Jesus Christ came to bring peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. Meaning that Jesus Christ has come to grant peace from man, between man and God and to restore the relationship between man and God. And so the angels sing about this peace. This peace that only comes through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is according to God's redemptive plan. Jesus brings peace by reconciling the world to God through his atonement. And reconciling the world to God through his atonement means that Jesus has brought the sinner out of hostility toward God through giving us his righteousness, and making us acceptable before God. And he has done this through the cross, by dying on the cross to forgive us of our sin and to pay the penalty that our sin deserves. Jesus brings peace by transforming our nature from wretched sinner to sanctified saint. He is doing this work of of transforming us as believers. And this work is not done until we die or he calls us home, returning to take the church to be with him. Jesus brings peace, finally, by granting universal peace, even among the nations. Hear what the psalmist says at the end of Psalm 2. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If every nation on earth would turn to Christ, there would be peace on earth. One day. Every nation will bow, and every knee will kneel, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God our Father. He's coming back. He will return, and when he does, he will take us to be with him eternally in the abode of God. He will dwell in our midst 
and it will be a great and glorious day. And the hope of Christmas causes us to look, to look back and to celebrate and to rejoice that Christ came in the form of a baby in a manger. But let us not lose sight of the hope that is of the second advent, that Christ will return. And this time he won't return as a baby in a manger. This time he will return as the conquering king, as the reigning ruler, supremely conquering all nations. So the question I want to ask us this morning, do you have peace with God? Do you know the peace of Jesus Christ? Do you know the peace that only comes from Jesus Christ? Has he brought you to be at peace with God? Or do you still find yourself, as Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned, falling short of God's glory. Do you know the peace that Jesus Christ brings? You can have peace with God through Jesus Christ, but you must confess your sin before God and believe upon the incarnation of Christ and believe upon the resurrection of Christ, His death for your sins. If you will believe upon Jesus Christ and call upon Him, you will be saved, Scripture says. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this is a meal that we as Christians take to celebrate that Christ came and he died that we might have life. And so when we eat the bread, it reminds us of his body that was torn, right? And when we drink the juice, the cup, it reminds us of his blood that was spilled in order to give us a new covenant, a new covenant through his blood. And this is the... This meal highlights and celebrates the gospel of Christ and what he has done in order to give us life and to give us joy. Here's the message, church, that we must proclaim. And here's the song, church, that we must sing until Christ returns. Church, I've got one more challenge this morning. And the challenge is this. All who are believers sitting in this room, Is your life filled with the joy of Christ this Christmas? Do you truly have that joy that comes from being at peace with God? It's it's not a joy that you can fake. It's a joy that only comes from knowing Christ. What does your song proclaim about God to others? Glory to God in the highest. He's my Savior. He's redeemed me. Are you sharing the hope of the gospel with others? Are you using the Christmas story as the bridge to share this eternal hope, eternal life? I pray that you are. This morning, as we close, I want to invite you to search within your heart and If you're lacking the joy of Christ this Christmas, ask God to reveal the reason that you're lacking his joy this Christmas. Ask God to show you the area of your life, perhaps, that needs to be surrendered to him. Ask God to strengthen you in order to serve him faithfully, to give you the strength in those moments to be faithful in sharing the gospel. This morning, if 
if you have realized for the first time that you don't have peace with God because you've never surrendered your life to Him, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Him. I want to encourage you to let Him be the Lord of your life and acknowledge that He's the Lord of your life. And as I said, you do that through repenting of your sin, confessing it before the Lord, and believing upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you call upon Him, and when you do, if you do, you will be saved. Now, I'll be down front this morning, and if that describes you, and you'd like me to pray with you, or speak to you about that, come forward so that I can pray with you here, and speak to you about what it means to trust Christ. And if you fail to do that this morning, come and see me or speak to someone within our congregation here that can share with you the hope of eternal life in Christ. Let me pray. Father, you are good and gracious to us. We thank you for the demonstration that we see in the angel's song and in the angel's announcement. And Lord, as a church your people gathered. We want our announcement to the world to be that of the angel's announcement to the shepherds. That Christ is born and he has come to bring peace on earth. And Father, we want our song to be that of the angels to the shepherds. Glory to God. Glory to you in the highest. God, would you make that the song of our hearts? Would you make that the internal seed of our lives, that there would be joy in the midst of our celebration of you this Christmas. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.